On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich and joining is my buddy Ricard Grumberg. Ricard, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Not much. We're hanging out here in Zurich. It's a uh, night for me and a morning for you. That's right. Yeah, we had to uh I had to get my coffee. We started a bit earlier than expected. So uh hopefully the coffee kicks in as we get going here. Um I, I put myself in a, a bit of a rare and awkward position here where you could argue that I only have the second best beard on the show. And and that's usually not something I find myself saying when I'm recording the PDO cast. So I'm just going to have to find a way to push past that. But you've obviously been working on that one for a couple of years now. Yeah, I know it's been a little bit of a trademark, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I don't mind the beard, especially now in winter time and everything else. You try and keep yourself warm. And, yeah, I know it's, uh, uh, it's been, been with me for a while now and I'm probably going to stick with me for a little bit too. Yeah. Um, all right. So I've got a couple of topics here. I've known for a while that we were going to record this show. So I've been thinking about it. I've been jotting down some notes. So. I'm just going to run some stuff by you and, uh, and see how, how far we go. So I'm really interested in, um, you know, the, the idea of implementing uh, analytics or I guess, uh, you know, kind of more progressive thoughts or ideas or even just sort of data analysis, even if it can be very simple, into actual on-ice product, right? It's one thing for, for people like myself to be, you know, talking about it on podcasts or, or writing blogs, but it's an entirely different thing to actually make use out of it, get functionality out of it by either, you know, preparing for your opponent by kind of scouting their tendencies and, and sort of figuring out where they like to attack from and how you can try to minimize that. Or even your own players, you know, this defense pair works for whatever reason, or these two guys, you'd think they'd work, but their numbers together just aren't, aren't right. I'm really curious about sort of um, your approach there. And obviously you've been coaching for a while now at, at many different stops and, and, and that's certainly evolved over the years, but do you kind of feel that 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 sort of shift in 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 the profession in terms of um, sort of sort of keeping up with that and, and actually sort of incorporating some of this stuff into actual decision making beyond just kind of going with your gut at all times? Yeah, no, and, and at, the, at the end of the day, I, I think absolutely uh, we we implementing. I think uh, you know us as, as, as head coaches and, and our coaches. Period. Um, you know, we 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 trying to always have an edge. Uh, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's the reason why you, you dig a little bit deeper. And we're living in the information society right now. There's a lot of information is out there. Um, and for for me, it's the biggest thing is that you need to try to boil it down. I mean, information is not hard to get a hold of, but you need to boil it down. You need to boil it down in, in a sense of of making everyone understands that you present it to. Um, and uh, when it's being presented to me, uh, I need to understand it. And I, I like to incorporate when you when we have tendencies of showing pictures of it. And pictures for me, uh, that's how my brain is working. I need to see uh, that on, on, on uh, uh, you know game tapes or whatnot and, 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 and 
if you're doing that, you see the tendencies very clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not have here in Switzerland, we do, don't have a, an NHL staff. So, so we, uh, we're working very intimately with, uh, with our, uh, with the, we, we do obviously get supplied with, with uh, information when it comes to analytics and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, you also need to look at it critically uh, in a sense. If you're not doing that yourself, the, the data yourself, uh, you need to look at it critically and and uh, but again I, I think the biggest thing for me is that uh, it needs to be easily understood it needs to be easily broken down and be, be easily presented especially when you're doing it with the players yeah well i find that's that, that's probably one of the big obstacles right you're sort of the the middleman for that for that flow of information where it's up to you to obviously make use of it and figure out what's important and what's not and how you want to utilize it but also communicating it efficient uh, efficiently right like the, i imagine the level of appetite from player to player is probably going to vary in terms of how much you can sort of communicate with them on, Oh, like this is happening out there, or oh, maybe you want to check this out or whatever. And, and some guys you might just kind of leave them alone or, or not even present them because you know that it's just not going to be received properly. Yeah. And, and, and to me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a communications guy that that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my background. Um, and when we're sitting in our morning meetings with all the coaches, we're discussing these things. And when we see tendencies going one way and I have an uh, assistant coach that's been with me now for, for 11 years through the national teams with Sweden. Also, he moved down here at Zurich with me, Johan Andersson, who was very in tune with, um, you know, when it comes to analytics and everything else, and, and he knows how my brain is working. So when he presents something new, he, a lot of times he incorporates that with, with showing pictures. Uh, if, if I see pictures of it, see the tendencies, it's going to be a lot easier for me to, to implement it in our game plan for, for that, uh, uh, that you know, future game or in practice, how, what we need to get better at and, and keep working on it and what's actually working. So, uh, I, again, as coaches, we're always trying to find an edge, if you like, uh, and that's what I think analytics is, is very effective if, if it gets presented in the right way. You know, you, you speak about how, um, you know, you're focusing on tendencies and, and kind of the visual element. Do, do you find yourself... Are you more interested um, in, in terms of at least like the preparation when you're, when you're sort of preparing uh, in specific events or, or do you find yourself more interested in the results? Do you just want to know like, okay, what did this lead to ultimately? It doesn't matter. Or are you more interested in, oh, okay, well, you know, if this one little thing in the entire process is good or bad, maybe it's influencing the results. I think it's a combination of everything. It, it, the, you know, you look. You're obviously trying to look into the future a little bit, which is which is always a little tough. But uh, by learning from from the past and and. Uh, the biggest thing th for me is, is the sample size. Um, you know, you can't just go a tendency. So it's like watching a, a game and you see one situation in that game and suddenly that's the complete truth for the whole game. And that's, that's to me, the sample size. If, if it keeps repeating itself, yeah, now we, we have something that's really good or something that's maybe not so good. Um, so, you know, sample size, one thing, uh, we, we, we do, we try to stress test our systems, uh, continuously when we sit down, having those discussions in the morning with the, the coaching staff. Um, and, uh, you know, we do everything with analytics and also, obviously video is, is a, is a big thing for, for me and, and I'm watching that, um, everything from looking because you you know us coaches we're trying to get the games into our strengths you know what, what are our strengths as, as a team that's somewhere where you're starting that's kind of the, the foundation of everything and then you're trying to find situations and, and in this case obviously analytics uh, to help you out of, of getting those those tendencies and going in your favor yeah you know it, it's so interesting like for me it ultimately boils down to um you know you're gonna have these in-game settings where they're just higher leverage moments and and you you can kind of it's not as, as cut and dried as oh you know if we change this one thing all of a sudden we're gonna win the game or not anything because a lot of different factors go into it it's just for me you're, you're giving yourself a, a slight mini competitive advantage right and i remember i had um 
the only other uh, head coach that, I, that I've had on the show in the past was John Wabrowski, who was working with the U.S. National Development Program and, and, and then went on to the uh, Kings AHL affiliate. And he was very interested in all this stuff and we messaged back and forth about it. And one of his sort of con- concerns or, or how um, he felt that one of the, the pushbacks or drawbacks to really implementing a lot of this stuff in game settings was people for whatever reason, whether it's coaches or, or people in organizations or players had this fear that uh, using too much data was going to sort of uh, robot roboticize it, right? It was going to kind of get in the way of them doing their job and sort of just totally change the way things have been operating for, for however many years they've been doing it. And I really think that's a, that's a misnomer. I just view it all as kind of additional information. And then it's ultimately up to you, whether you're the GM or whether you're the coach or whether you're the player, um, as a decision maker to kind of figure out how much of that you want to incorporate. It's like, like any organization, any, any business, right. You, you'd want to have obviously too much information can, it can become a problem, but uh, it, it's weird to me that some people would kind of blindly just ignore stuff just because they're scared of what it might tell them. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, us, us as head coaches, especially, I mean, we, we're really getting paid to make decisions, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how do you make the best decisions? And for me is, you know, what I like about analytics and statistics is cold value, right? It's, it's a cold value. You take away the emotions and everything else. This is actually what happens, right? Uh, and somehow that, that's kind of a good foundation too. Uh, I'm not saying you should take away all the, the emotional part. And like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the reason why we're doing this, playing this game. And that's the reason I'm involved in this game. But I think you can make better decisions based on just cold value sometimes too. Uh, so, you know, it, at the end of the day, I think that the best way for me to describe is you need to be able to, to present it in, in a good way. I don't like the robotic way. I like the players to play the game. Um, but if we can help them out by giving them, okay, if, if you're going to be around this area, say that you're more likely going to score, or if you're around this area as a defensive play, you know, you're more likely going to you know, hinder the, the opponents to score. Uh, just to give an example of, of, of just simplify. Uh, mm-hmm. the information uh, and I think if you present it that way with, with with players I think you you know you can give tendencies and you can obviously be rep- repetitious in practice and whatnot so um, uh, yeah, um, for myself I like to stress test our system all the time continuous stress test um, I, I hate the idea of incest of ideas of like we're saying the same thing all over again from from, from uh, you know um, August or whatever when we get together until yeah. you know March or, or April or or, or certain cases may so so i, I continue to ask those uh, you know questions and and uh, you know, one way to do it is with numbers another way to do it is a video and there's different ways to do it and, and see obviously see you know for me i mean i, I like to <clears throat> i like to communicate with the players i like to sometimes it's easier when you have a video when you have some stat- statistics some analytics to sit down and discuss and talk about it and other stuff come up comes up as well so um i think that's a uh, the, the biggest thing again with the information society we're living in today is, is for me as a head coach it's kind of you know if you like you have a lot of balls in area to try, try, try to get them down and and, and somehow um okay how do what are we doing today um and let the players uh focus on on you know making the trade better and whatnot then you helping them out with that way yeah well so you kind of tapping into that a little bit I, I'm, at, I'm curious for sort of when you're behind the bench coaching how do you balance um you know, the idea of, of the process in terms of the way your team is playing versus the actual results, because ultimately uh, you're going to be judged based on your wins and losses, right? Like that's what, that's what matters at the end of the day. But I do find that, especially in smaller samples, being re- overly reactionary in this sport, which is, it can be so random. Sometimes there can be so much luck involved. You can get yourself in trouble if you're just purely judging a team's performance based on whether they won or lost 
uh, it's a good way to kind of wind up chasing your own tail. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's going to be individual games or even stretches of games where you're playing really well. Uh, you're doing everything that, you know, you've talked about before the game and in practices that you want your team to do, but the puck just doesn't go in, or maybe your goalie isn't making the the saves that you think they should make and you have nothing to show for it. Right. And, and so I imagine it's, it's, it's tough as, as the coach, everyone's looking to you. Okay. Like, how do we get out of this slump? How do we, how do we fix this? And, you know, it might not be palatable for you to just sit back and do nothing because it's going to give off the illusion that you don't care or that you're not kind of tuned in or dialed into what's going on. But you might in the back of your head be thinking, listen, if we keep playing this way, we're going to get the wins eventually. We just kind of need to stick with it. Do you, do you find yourself kind of struggling with that sometimes? Or, or how do you sort of balance those two things between uh, the way you feel your team's playing and whether you actually are getting the results that you think you should get for it? Well, and, and that's an excellent question. I mean, again, we're, we're all emotional. We're all, uh, a lot of times, especially five minutes after the game, you, you value that, that game based on the result. Uh, and that's the reason why, you know, most of the time I never go into the team after a game because, you know, you're still emotionally attached to, to that, those those type of situations or, or your uh, uh, your impressions of what happened in the game versus, you know, watch the game through. I always watch the game from, from start to till the end after the game uh, just to get a feel for, for what actually happened. And a lot of times, you know, you, you're not right when you're on the bench compared to what happens when you actually watch the game on, on video because there's so many things that, that influence your your uh, especially the result influence your, your impression of what happened in the game. So, uh, but at the same time, I, I think everyone's talking about you know trust the process. No matter win or lose, we're trying to be very um, uh, you know methodical in the way we're presenting stuff uh, to the team. And when I say stuff, it's it's te- in tendencies of the games. If we, like you said, you know if, if we keep doing this, it's going to be really good. Hey, maybe we should we need to practice more of this, but that's more of a, a coaching situation versus when you present it to the team. Because right. a lot of times, like you said, you know, lose one or two games. A lot of times now we start playing mind games with yourselves and the players start playing mind games with themselves instead of oh, refocus them and say, hey, listen, this is what happened in the game. This is, those are the things we need to do better. Win or lose, these are the things we need to do better. These are the things we need to keep doing. Uh, and, and I think that's, 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 to me, is the process, what you're doing every day. And, and uh, you know, you're trying to get the emotional part of it as much as possible, you know, Versus before the game, you know, you try to get, the, you know, the motion going a little bit. Uh, after the game, it's more okay. What happened? Uh, we we always have after a game. We're breaking down. We have some some tendencies in the games. We always break down after a game. And and I asked the players too. We have something called after action review after a game. Um, and after action review, you know, this comes from the Navy SEALs after a mission. They go and and it's a flat organization where everyone can speak, no matter what, uh, uh, you know, what level they are in the military. And we're doing the same thing. I'm asking a question for players because they're actually on the ice and they see them maybe in a different way. So I always start with after action review. And after that, I have a little bit of what I call a package of um, this is this is what the statistics says. This is the analytics on the statistics. This is the video. Uh, these are a few things we need to do. If you keep doing it, believe in what we're doing. And that's that's to me, that's, you know, quote unquote, trust the process. That's that is the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all these the, the information you, you get, uh, I think is very, very important that you, you present in the right way. Yeah, it's always so interesting to me. You often hear when a you know if a team wins a game or something, and then it's like, okay, we're keeping the same lineup, even if if we might have better options available. Let's say someone was injured, and then, and then now they can't get back into the lineup because we won the last game. And it's like, well, no, the, the new game is an entirely different thing, right? Like you should be you should be kind of focusing on what's to come as opposed to to just worrying purely if you won the last game or not. So that's always kind of interesting to me how you, how you manage those two things. Champions aren't born; they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme, Shopify. 
the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Recognize employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com. A thing that I did want to talk to you about was, is, you know, these days you see players with with the advancements in skill development, just what they're capable of with the puck with the under stick is is has developed so much uh over the past however many years even since i started really working in this sport like a decade ago or so like just seeing what guys are able to do on a day-to-day basis now is incredible compared to where we were at back then uh you know you watch someone like like trevor zegers flip the puck over over the cage to a teammate that bats it out of the air you see some of these highlight reel plays what are, what are you thinking as a coach because obviously i imagine when you have a, a very talented skilled player that can do some of that stuff or maybe you see them doing it in practice like, yeah, if they, if it leads to goals, yeah, I imagine you're like, okay, well, this is what makes this player special. So I need to give them the the kind of freedom to pursue that. But obviously, you know, as well, that sometimes that could lead to, to mistakes or turnovers. And we know that coaches, sometimes you get really irritated when players don't do the simple play and try to kind of get themselves in trouble by, by going above and beyond their means. So how do you sort of balance those two things in terms of creating a space where you, where you enable your skilled players to to try stuff and experiment and do what makes them special while also kind of playing in that team setting and, and, and sort of, um, you know, playing the role of disciplinary or whatever you want to call it as a coach while you, you know what I mean? In terms of like those two, uh, sort of thought processes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the million dollar question every day. Right. So, uh, I believe in that you, you need to let the players make decisions on the ice. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, our job as, as coaches, we're helping them out with a foundation uh, that, that is a team sport. We're working together, uh, positionally strong and all that stuff. Um, you know, we, we give, we feed them in information. We, we boil the information down, like I said, and present it in a way that the, you know, everyone understands and, and it's easy to, okay, this is, if we just keep doing this, things are going to be pretty good. Now, you know, I, I you know, what happens in a game situation, a lot of times the guys are actually breaking them all. The guys, the guys are breaking out, uh, doing something that, um, 
it changes the, the the tempo of the game because now nowadays every team is so well coached. Every team, um, you know, have very good players uh, at the professional level. Uh, so you know, the guys that actually can break the pattern to do something different uh, is, is a lot of times going to be the game breaker. I mean, that's a two-one game or or or, or um, you know, three-two goal or whatever. Um, so you know, it would be wrong for me as a coach to take that away from players. Um, now. If this doesn't work, you know, continues to do the same thing, repetitively try to do the same thing, and it doesn't work, is my also my job to let them know, hey, listen, this is not working. Right. You know, don't don't keep doing it. You know, um, but at the end of the day, hockey is a, a you know you need to allow the players to make decisions, and, lo- and sometimes it's going to be mistakes. It's just we're in, we're in the ice, you're making mistakes, and and uh, in, in in what. Put it this way: Is is it a selfish decision? Is it is it a decision based on hey, I try just try to do something to to win the game for us? There's there's so many things that that plays into you know me as as a coach because I, I need to guide them in the right way, and making good decisions and sound decisions on the ice. Uh, and, and again, it's it's a million dollar question because everyone is so fun, fundamentally strong right now when it comes to to being coached and individually, you know, uh, game plan tactics as well as team tactics and strategy that uh, you know you need to have players that can actually break the ball a little bit. Certainly, yeah, yeah, that's very well said. Um, all right, well, so enough of the serious stuff. Let's get to the truly important stuff. The reason why I invited you on the show. I use the guise of having a thoughtful conversation about coaching tactics and implementing analytical concepts. But the real reason I wanted to have you on was to geek out about the 2016 World Cup of Hockey uh, and the game you were behind the bench for against Team North America when you were coaching Team Sweden. And I'm not sure if you talked about this elsewhere publicly or or uh, or whatnot. And I'm not totally sure how many people even care. Like this is an event that happened over five years ago. I, I know that there's a cult following for it. And, and whenever I tweet about it or I show video of it, I know people get excited about it. I, I do think there's a certain level of, of nostalgia for the event. It's been so long since we got to see uh, an event of that sort in a competitive setting with a, with a best on best tournament. And I guess it is a timely conversation for us to have now with the recent news that the NHL won't be going to the Olympics this year again, once again, depriving us of that sort of tournament. But you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a game that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's certainly the signature game of that tournament. You got a front row seat for it. So I just wanted to kind of, I unpack it all for you, like the entire experience. Uh, obviously, the incentives were different for your team versus Team North America. Once the game got into uh, overtime, uh, you know, they they had an advance and I, I think they weren't aware of it at the moment and they were just kind of playing. And so it wasn't necessarily like a, a do or die type of elimination game for you. But I imagine it's also, um, you know, something that that you literally had a front row seat for. And it's, it's a game that is uh, remembered very prominently. Like it's one of the few memories of a game that I have that really is etched in, in my mind from, from start to finish. And I know that it kind of captured the attention of everyone. Like everyone was talking about, it, everyone still is talking about it. So um, I kind of just wanted to get into that a, a little bit with you. What was the, what, what are your kind of lasting memories of, of that game in particular, or, or I guess the event as a whole in terms of how you remember it five plus years now? Yeah, that, that was my, my, uh, my first, first uh, experience. I had coach too for the national team at, uh, that level i've been with the team for, for a long time but as the first time as a head coach and um you know we uh we did get the, the toughest schedule that's at least what the the uh the, you know, it was a big draw and all that stuff we had a really tough schedule and we play back to back and we so we knew this game was going to be really really tough um you know after winning the first two games we're still not ahead 
of, of making the playoffs uh, because of other results and, and, and that we needed, you know, we needed a tie at the end of the day, we needed that tie. Um, and, but we knew it was going to be a really, really tough game. And we knew we seen them, obviously the team North America play in uh, those other games. And we see them in also next the ex- exhibition games. We know how explosive they were, uh, they were at that, that point in time. So for, for us, the big discussion we have should be start match right away with, uh, you know, we had a Marcus Kruger line with Hageline and, and, uh, Silverberg, which was a very, very solid line that uh, they can definitely, um, you know, be matched against the McDavid line and, and, and potentially uh, be, be solid that way. But we decided before the game that you know, we're going to go ahead with because we were successful in other two games against Russia and Finland. Went into that game, winning both those games. That you know, we're starting out, and, and you know, remember the start. I mean, it was it was two nothing, and, and uh, you know they had a couple of breakaways, they had a penalty shot. I mean, we were just oh, how do we stop the bleeding? And, and you know, but that that point of time, obviously, we made a change in the coaching and the line against uh, the McDavid line, and then did an awesome job and a really good job rest of the game. Um, and obviously put out the fire a little bit to start out of the game. And I think we, um, you know, we got that goal by, by Forsberg in the first period, which was a huge goal for us. And then after that, I think we slowly, because we knew we didn't have that, that explosiveness when it comes to, we had, we had a lot of smartness on the team. So, you know, the more the game went on, the more the game went on. I think we, we started to eat ourselves into the game. And, and at the end, obviously we got the result that we, 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 I mean, I even brought the guys in in the last commercial break. Hey, they're going to pull the goal here. Just be ready. They're going to pull the goal. They'll be, be ready. So um, they never did that. And, and it was a little bit of a surprise from, from our part, obviously. But for us, it was just uh, we needed to, to, to get that tie. And we were, we were ahead. And, and obviously, the, the, uh, the overtime was going back and forth. Like we could easily won that game before uh, McKinnon scored that last goal. But, uh, yeah, no, at the end of the day, it was an was unbelievable display of, of skills and speed. Uh, and again, we were we were trying to stop the bleeding to start out the game, and and uh, but you know we we also knew if the more the game went on, I think our experience uh, also uh, was showing. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I didn't really register it at the time, obviously. And then I've I've rewatched, and I recommend anyone that that is listening to this if you haven't seen it or or, or whatever. There's a full version on on YouTube. It's it's over two hours long, but it's just pure joy the entire time. I I, I make make a habit of pulling it up every once in a while if I'm feeling a bit down. It, it just provides me with a shot of serotonin, and I feel better instantly because it's such a fun game. But um, you know, upon recent rewatches, I I, I do kind of notice it's. And part of what makes that that matchup so fun for me was you see the difference in kind of playing style, or maybe it, it's such a um, it's a wonderful time capsule for where we are at in hockey in terms of the different eras because the game starts off on opening puck drop. It's the Sidians versus McDavid and Matthews, and instantly now rewatching it, I'm like, oh, that's 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 an interest, interesting matchup and interesting that you kind of went power versus power in that regard. And obviously, I think ten seconds in or whatever, McDavid has a breakaway, draws a penalty, they wind up scoring, and it, that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about it. Cause I'm really curious about that sort of element of um, when a game starts like that, I, I think Eric Carlson referred to it as the first couple of minutes as the, the most embarrassing stretch he's, he's played through in terms of you guys going down to nothing. And, and really, if it weren't for Lundqvist, it could have been much worse at the time. Um, you know, first off, you come into a game with a game plan and when things go poorly like that, right out of the gate and you, and you said yourself here that, that you kind of change the matchup, um, how quick are you to kind of make that adjustment? Do you um, do you let things kind of play out to try to gather your bearings and kind of calibrate, especially when a team is playing as fast as Team North America was at that time? Do you give your players a chance to sort of ease into the game? Because 
I think at the end of the first period, it was, you were only down three, two, right. You'd clawed your way back and you got that Forsberg goal. You had another goal to make it three, two. And so you're heading into the locker room. You're probably feeling pretty good. All things considered all, it could have been much worse. Like they outplayed us significantly. Uh, what's sort of the message in terms of how you're, you're navigating those next 40 minutes, because obviously I think at that point you had kind of corralled the game a little bit. It, it definitely got much more control. Um, and, and you didn't wind up giving up another goal against until the overtime when, when McKinnon scored. So uh, clearly something went well for you defensively beyond just having Henrik Lundqvist. But what was that kind of conversation and adjustment like, uh, you know, from being down to nothing and then even after the first intermission in terms of just because the game clearly shifted in terms of the tempo it was being played at? Yeah, you know, and, and like, like again, you, you have to make a change uh, after what what happened. It's not game fifty five in a regular season. We, we we do an experiment here. You know, it, it, we need to we need to win this game, or we need to, in our case we need to at least uh, get into to, to a tie. So uh, we made that that change pretty quickly. Uh, I would say probably four or five shifts into it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, you know one of those things when you're walking in, you know, more or less walking in straight to a wall. Especially for me as a coach, was like. Uh, how do you stop the bleeding? And that, that and I think we the game plan more, more obviously worked, but um, you know when you're going into the third period, or obviously between the second and third period, you, you have so much experience in that locker room too. And if you look at the first game against Russia, two one game, or or even uh, and, and Ovechkin scored very late in that game, and also the one thing game against Finland. I mean, our our foundation and our structure was was so solid. In those 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 games, but also they were, they were played at a slower slower pace, obviously. So, uh, but we knew this because it was back to back for us. They were rested rested going into this game. We knew this game was going to be really tough for us. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm tremendously proud of the way we turned the, the events around in that in, in that game. But also, I, I believe it's quite a bit of experience in our locker room that they really paid dividend at the end. Yeah, well, and I think it helps. Uh as a cinematic experience, it helps now that we've gotten to see a lot of the key players uh, kind of involved, develop into what they are today. And I imagine, you know, you mentioned that you knew that they were going to play very fast. You'd obviously seen them in, 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 in different games before you went, went up head to head against them that, you know, they had a lot of skill and they were fast, but I think I have to remind myself that, you know, at the time we'd only seen Connor McDavid for 45 NHL games at that moment. Uh, Austin Matthews hadn't even entered the league. Nathan McKinnon certainly wasn't the player he is now. So it's one of those teams that is obviously over time. You look at it and you go, oh my God, I can't believe they had all those players. They're at a different stage of their career, but they, it was such an interesting stylistic matchup because your team, not to diminish the the skill level, because you obviously had Forsberg and Landeskog and Backstrom and, and, and a bunch of great NHL players, but it was clearly a team that was built more from the net out. It was very uh, defensively strong. The blue line was the best in the tournament. So I, I love those matchups in terms of when two teams are just so different in terms of the way they're constructed, not to mention that you had this kind of inexperienced team where it's like, oh, we don't know what we're going to get from them compared to this veteran Swedish group where it was like, all right, this is like the most rock solid team in the tournament. We know exactly what we're going to get from them. So it was fascinating. I'm, I'm very curious about that sort of interplay between, uh, you know, coaching a team that, that, that you know what you're going to get and going up against a team that is just so unpredictable in that regard. Yeah, and, and that's just it. And that's what we were, like, we're talking before the game, what we should do with the matchup and everything else. But since we we're so successful in the other two games and we felt that the structure and everything else was was in place, uh, that we, we, we want to continue on that uh, successful part or stretch of, of games. Uh, but when you see us going the other way, it's obviously uh, the skill and everything else on the, on the opponents, especially the, the speed of the game. Um, you know, you, you have to make a change. Uh, but again, again uh, you know, as a coach, you're playing with the cards you have. And then, 
And for me, as a, as, a, as a Swedish national team head coach, you're picking your own team. And so we know, we knew exactly what you're saying. I mean, uh, you know, Hank was was very, very still on the, on the top of his game. Uh, we, we also knew our defense was, was going to be, uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best uh, defensive core in, in the tournament. So somehow you need to get the games into to your favors. And I think, I think we... Most of that tournament, unfortunately, uh, you know, the semifinals game, we, you know, was a well, it was a bad bounce. Later, we, we lost that game, but defensively, over those those the, the course of the tournament, I think we, we delivered and uh, with with, uh, with a very solid performance. Uh, you know, you just wish, like you said, you know, maybe maybe a, goal, a couple more goal scorers on that team, and we we were playing that uh, final game against Canada. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the thing that really I took away from that game, obviously, there's a bunch of great players on on, on both sides. It it was. You know, Nathan McKinnon scores the overtime winner. Um, obviously, a, a bit bittersweet for you, but just kind of, you know, all these years later, like he's, probably, you could see the player that he'd wind up turning into, right? At the time, he was still kind of struggling offensively. That avalanche team wasn't what it is today, but you could kind of see that, that the power and the speed and the skill that he, that he put on display. And I imagine that's what makes him such a nightmare matchup because he's fast enough to to skate with Eric Carlson, but he's strong enough to to, you know, go head to head in power with Matthias Ekholm. Like it's, it's kind of like you almost, how do you even match up with a player like that? Because you can't necessarily just pick one type of defenseman. It's, it's kind of, he can beat you both ways. So you're kind of you're screwed either way. It was such a fascinating matchup to see him kind of be the player. He wasn't at that player at the time, but he wound up becoming that all these years later. Yeah, and and I had the pleasure of obviously coaching against uh, both McKinnon and McDavid at U uh, eighteen level. So mm-hmm. I knew that they were good players. Obviously, <laughs> uh, maybe not established NHL players at that point in time, but um, you know we, we we knew that we were going to be very very good, and, and we knew that the speed was was their game. Uh, but again, I mean, I got to play the cards I had, and and um, you know that, that's what we have to do as coaches. You be picking a team with where you think you have the best. Uh, chance of winning and then uh, you know you have the cards you have but you know I was uh, I was um, it was an in- interesting tournament for me too being the first time being a, the head coach of a team and then still being a third place team in that, that tournament obviously uh, yeah, we would love to play it against Canada in the last uh, last few games in the finals but um, you know Team Europe had also a very experienced team with Chara and, and uh, you know uh, Kopitar and whatnot so they, they had a very experienced team and you can see it was a little bit of a chess game in the, in the semifinals and unfortunately they they uh they had the, the the last call on that one, but uh, uh, no, it was a, it was an unbelievable experience. It was a, it was a fun experience, and like you said, it was a little bit of the the, the new hockey was uh, being played by by the that young North American team. Uh, it was a, a entertaining, I would say, a very entertaining for, for people. What I heard afterwards, obviously, I'm so involved in, in coaching my team, I'm not really a spectator. But uh, it was a it was a it was a fun game, and, and uh, it was a fun tournament for sure. Uh, okay. I know you're busy guys. So we're going to end here quickly. I have a couple rapid fire questions that, that I've got for you. Favorite player that you've gotten a chance to work with. I, I really don't, I can't say one, one player. I have been fortunate enough to, to coach so many. Do you have, a, do you have, a, do you have a most talented player? Maybe it might not even translate it to actual on ice performance or the most points or the most goals, but just a player that you, that you got to see that you were like this guy, the things he can do with the puck. I just can't believe it. Uh, the, the best turnaround, turnaround uh, um, performance for me was when we we got the, the you know Daniel and, and Henrik back for the 2013 uh, World Championship because we we didn't we're not playing well uh, very well in that tournament and, and suddenly 
you know, both of them came in and, and did an unbelievable turnaround job for us to, to win the tournament. But see how, you know, not only how talented and how good they were, um, but also see how much leadership they took on and, and what a big, uh, and show the passion, how much they uh, cared about everyone in the locker room and took care of everyone. That was, to me, um, you know, an unbelievable, not, like I said, not just talent-wise, but, but also as, a, as, a, as leaders and everything else. And that, uh, that was a special moment for, for me and, and obviously been fortunate to coach him a couple more times. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's something that stick out for me. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, they were uh, my favorite players growing up here in Vancouver. So uh, I'm always uh, interested to talk about the cities. I, I imagine they were, they must have been slightly, you know, maybe not challenging, but more different to coach than, than your typical players, because obviously there was two of them, but also like what they did was so unique and different than everyone else in terms of the way they operated and the way they see the ice. I imagine there's an element as a coach of kind of just getting out of their way a little bit and just be like, yeah, the, the thing you guys did on that last shift, that was, that was good. Keep doing that as opposed to kind of trying to micromanage them too much. Cause they obviously seem to seem to have stumbled upon a formula that was working for them, especially at that time. Yeah. And, and, and when it comes to 2013 team was, uh, you know, especially how, how were we going to use them? You know, what situations and whatnot. So, you know, you as a, as a coach needs to need to be, make sure that they, they get the, the, the right repetitions and when, when they were again, those repetitions as well. So, uh, there was a combination of that, but at, at the same time, I think, uh, you know, when you're coaching these, these talented players and the, the, the top-notch world-class players is you're there to help them out. Like you help them out in a sense of being successful at that point of time. Uh, everything when it comes to system-wise or we'll help them out, uh, you know, with different things and, and play, uh, like you said, you know, play in a free mind. Um, I like mm-hmm. to use that word, quite, play with a free mind and, and play towards their strengths. And obviously, you know, when, when it comes to, to Daniel and, and, and Henrik, I mean, the way they're, they're, they're moving the puck and the, the way that they, 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 they can slow the game down, uh, down and, and, and make a controlled game. Uh, you need to play in that those don't, don't allow them, even though you might have a different situation with other lines. So, um, you know, I think that's the biggest takeoff I, I have from the national team of coaching and some of the best in the world is, is you got to allow them to, to be who they are and not trying to change them. Number one, number two is to, um, you know, in what situations, so how are you going to use them and be very clear of their role on, on, the, on that team and have that discussion with them. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing uh, for, 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 you know, for those players to be able to play free. Uh, I told my pal Jack Hahn that I was doing a podcast with you and he told me to ask you about Kent Johnson and your connection with him. Um, yeah, I know, I know Kent, I actually remember when Kent was born actually, but I know Kent's dad for, for a long time. He actually hired me for a, for a coaching job back in the days, many, many moons ago, uh, down in Texas. Uh, so, uh, you know, Jay, uh, uh, and I've been keeping, t- you know, contact and, uh, you know, I've been, uh, uh, you know, uh, Good friend with with Jay for for, for since then then is I talked about twenty five years now twenty years ago probably twenty years ago um, and uh, you know he keep asking questions about their kids a couple of times I've been uh, visiting them as well and he's he's come over with both uh, you know with with Kent and also his older brother Kyle coming over to Sweden and, and visiting and, and you know uh, practicing with teams and I helped him out with that as well and uh, but overall it's just you know uh, Kent's dad Jay is, is just a very good friend of mine. Yeah, the things that kid can do with the puck, unfortunately, his uh, World Junior experience got cut short here uh, the other day, but you already got to see a bit of a glimpse of it. And, and I, I can't wait to see how his game translates to the NHL level because just some of the stuff that he does with the puck is, is you know, we were talking about Zegers earlier. The, it's, it's very similar in terms of that creativity and just it's like almost a video game when he's out there. 
Yeah, and, and it was funny because, uh, uh, you know, Jay, and I was talking about when, when Ken's was probably five or six years old, maybe a little bit older than that, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously his older brother Cal was, was there too. With the, we actually came in to run a couple of camps in, in, in BC. Um, you know, uh, kind of the biggest thing that we, I think we changed our mind on a couple of people there was that we, we allow, <clears throat> we played a lot of scrimmage games. We allow a lot of, uh, let let them find a way. You know, don't just start doing tactics when at that age. You just do more of, uh, you know, let them play and then and play a free mind again with with a lot of small area scrimmage type of deals and and um, you know I, I think and, and you know what Jay, at least what Jay told me like they implemented. I used that quite a bit. You know, we can't think how growing up and all the players they were playing with and, and that you know when the younger years. And I think that's a little bit of uh, what you see right now with with how he how you know Kent's playing. You know, with a free mind and and he, he has no afraid to to, to make uh, you know you know obviously change the game. By by uh, making a move that probably no one ever ever seen, or or, or try to do something ever, uh, you know outside the, the box. So, um, and uh, I know that, that Jay and, and obviously uh, you know Kent's uh, coaches growing up have been been allowing him to do that. And I think that's where we see the product of right now. Well, Ricardo, this is a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. It was uh, it was really fun to chat with you. Um, good luck with everything. I'm not going to ask you usually when I when I finish a show with a with a guest, ask them to plug some stuff because they're a, a fellow analyst and they're plugging their their website or whatever they're working on these days. I'm not going to ask you to do so, but I'm just going to tell you, uh, happy holidays and uh, thanks for taking the time. And it was really fun to chat with you and uh, and good luck in all your future endeavors. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it was this is a blast. Let's uh, if you if you're interested, I'll do it again. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Cheers. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.